I am a stickler for starting on time. I want to reward all of you who got here. So we're going to go ahead and start, OK? How's that? OK. Uh, good morning. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here at the retreat and here in the forgiveness seminar. And I suspect um, that you're going to hear some things that you already know, but probably some, some new things. Um, I hope. I hope. <laughs> um, grab a handout when you come in, please. Those, the handouts are really for your benefit only, note-taking, filling in the blanks. Um, I'm going to share with you um, some real-life some, some real examples of forgiveness opportunities and also scripture, what scripture, the word, says about forgiveness. And thank you, Jason. We're going to kind of embed all those things together. Um, and so I'm... I'll just introduce myself again. I'm Carrie Luther, and um, I've served at Mount Hermon as the Director of Human Resources for about six and a half years now. May of 2013 was my date of hire. And we already know we're here because forgiveness is a big topic. And a variety of emotions may come up for you as you hear that word based on your stories. And we all have stories. Uh, have you ever seen the television show Lost? Remember back in the day, Lost, and they crashed on an island, and you know they would flash back to different people's stories before they crashed. You know, and that's kind of how we are here. We're all gathered here, but we all have stories that impact who we are today. And so we're going to explore some of that. And because I'm going to get real with you today, I'm going to ask that you get real sooner than I am, actually, so I have an advantage. But I'm going to ask you a question, and I just want those of you who are comfortable, and I guarantee that once one person starts, the rest of you will join in, because I saw it happen yesterday. And I'm really comfortable with silence, so I can stand here for a long time <laughs> waiting. Okay. So when you hear that word, forgiveness, what's one thing that comes up for you, either an emotion or a word, or something that you're hoping to get out of today, our time together today? What's one thing? Peace. Peace. Excellent. To forget. Oh. Hold on a second. Let me catch up. I'm sorry. I, I can type as fast as you can talk, but I cannot write. So peace, forgetting, whoops, two T's, letting go of grudges. Is that what I heard? Yes? Okay, what else? Healing. Healing, yes. Reconciliation. Pardon me? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Empathy. Empathy. Serenity, good word. Surrender. Surrender, yes. Moving on. Mm. Moving forward, yeah. Compassion, yes. Don't think that just because I'm at the bottom that I can't fill in more words. <laughs> I like the, the uh, no fishing sign. You know, God buries our um, sins and forgiveness and everything in the deepest sea, but 
we keep going fishing. Oh, you know, the, 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 so stop fishing? Yes, yeah, stop Is that, fishing. Okay. doubt. Anyone else? Grab a handout as you come in there on the chair right there. And we have a pharmacy of pens up here if you need one. <laughs> Okay, I think this is a pretty good list. Anything else that someone's thinking that they're not saying that might benefit the group? Remember that there's no such thing as a stupid answer, a stupid question, period. If you're thinking it, so is someone else. I guarantee it. So I guess like um, being able to talk to somebody, that other person or whatever, fits in there somewhere, right? So the person that you want to forgive or need to ask forgiveness? Okay, so getting closure, that's a good one, but let's see if, how do we summarize that? Mm, oh, right, so the on, ongoing connection, you know. I don't need, I'm, we'll talk about that though, okay. Moving on, yeah, that might capture that. What else? Anyone else? Confrontation, okay, we'll, we'll use that and we'll know what that means. Stop gossiping about it? Yeah. So let's put this. Mm, honest, honesty, yeah. Pain, pain, for sure. Yes. Right. What'd she say? What'd you say? I have hearing aids, so sometimes they don't work in a room like this. So. What'd you say? Oh, I like silly. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, well, I got that part for sure, so that's a good one. Okay, I think we got quite a good list here. And so we are going to cover these things, believe it or not, today. And if we don't, you stop me and say, let's talk about that one, okay? Because I think you'll see that we are going to cover these words and feelings and um, issues that come up around forgiveness. Um, so, before we dive into all of this, let's pray together. Okay, ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Lord, we thank you that you are here with us, ever-present. We thank you that you brought us here for a purpose, and let us just, have, just give us the ability to open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear what you have to say to us. I just thank you for your compassion and grace and mercy in our lives daily. And help us to just really soak that in to see how we can then apply that to the people in our lives. 
It's so hard, it's so hard when we have so much pain in our lives to forgive or be forgiven. And so I just ask that you would use our time together to speak to us, to just give us your supernatural word as it applies to our own circumstances. We thank you and we praise you in the matchless name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, thank you. So <clears throat> one of the words that didn't come up, <clears throat> I got a hairball, sorry. So for me is rest. And so when I think of forgiveness, forgiving and being forgiven, I think of resting in the Lord. And that's been a long time coming, I can tell you. Um, so to illustrate what I mean uh, about that, I'm actually going to tell you about a woman I'm getting to know. And um, her life story. <clears throat> so her younger brother was arrested and convicted of second-degree murder um, in 1986. And he served 27 years in prison uh, before being released on parole seven years ago. This woman has two adult daughters and two sons, and both of her daughters were molested by men she and they trusted, which is often the case if we know anyone who's had that experience. One of the men was her brother-in-law, and the other was her daycare provider's husband. She and her youngest son, who's now 26 years old, um, have lived with the struggles of bipolar disorder and generalized anxiety disorder since he was 11 years old. Long time. And these disorders have manifested themselves throughout his life and her life in the form of rages and the inability to go to school at times and the inability to work. She's been married and divorced three times. She isn't proud of the fact that she was unfaithful to her first husband and ultimately ended that marriage for another man who became her second husband and became abusive in every way you can think of, emotionally, mentally, and finally physically. That led to her second divorce. And then she became a mother of four children, a single mother of four children. Her third husband revealed to her only after they were married in 2003 that for most of his adult life, he had struggled with gender identity. So he, in the end, concluded that he wanted to express that more openly and freely, and that led to the end of their seven-year marriage. And that was in 2010. Before I go on, let me tell you that that woman I'm getting to know is me. And that's just part of my journey of forgiveness, my pilgrimage of forgiveness. And there are dozens, as I've already alluded, dozens of references to forgiveness in scripture. And I encourage you to look those up on your own because we could be here all day looking at those. Um, but today we're gonna focus on a few that relate to these stories that I'm gonna tell you. In Ephesians 4.32, we read, be kind and compassionate to one another. Compassion, that's one of our words. Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. In January of 2008, I had to have an emergency hysterectomy. I had a blocked fallopian tube. And so it was like for weeks, I felt like I was having the pain of labor. You know, I felt like I was having contractions and I would just have to stop what I'm doing, you know, grab a hold of something and practice that breathing. <laughs> but I wasn't having a baby, so I had the surgery. My mom came and stayed with me in the hospital, even though he was supposed to. She was supposed to stay with the kids, but he couldn't handle it. He went home with the kids so he could escape and be on his computer playing games. So exactly one week from the day that I had my surgery, he had a meltdown and took off. Took off with my car, 
and my credit cards. So I had nothing to help me do what I needed to do with my family. Now, of course, I couldn't drive anyway. You know, it takes about six weeks or so. Um, but he left me helpless, pretty much. And I had a 14 and a 16-year-old at home. And the 14-year-old was the one, or is the one, who has the bipolar disorder and generalized anxiety. And so he flipped out. So I was afraid for my physical safety. And I had to lock my bedroom door and call his father and ask him to come be with him and calm him down. Scary time for me. He was, my husband was gone for six weeks. And even with all those hurts in my marriage, over time, over time, this doesn't happen overnight, by the way. It's not like flipping a switch, right? It takes practice, lots of practice. Eventually, the Lord gave me the ability to see that he loves him and them just as much as he loves me. Just as much. I'm no different in God's eyes than they are, and vice versa. So your first blank, and it, it's not related to that so much, but the reconciliation word, okay? I've learned that there is a difference between forgiveness and trust and reconciliation. Those three things are not synonymous, always. They can be. Don't get me wrong. They can be, but they don't have to be. And I'll tell you more. In 1995, I discovered, well, let me give you some context. So I was separated from my second husband, so I was staying with my parents in Watsonville, which is just south of here. And my brother-in-law, the one I told you about earlier that had molested my daughter. We didn't know that yet. So he was staying there as well because he had moved out of the area, but he was still doing work there um, as a drywall professional taper. I think that's his title. And so I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning to take my shower while the kids are sleeping so I can get them out the door to school and get in the shower, and all of a sudden I feel that overwhelming sense, for no reason, that somebody was watching me. Have you ever felt that? Yes. I believe that God gives us, especially as women, that sense to protect ourselves from predators. And I had that sense. I didn't hear a noise. I, didn't, I just had that sense. And thankfully, the um, shower door was frosted, so I just kind of reached around and grabbed my towel and wrapped it around me, and I opened a door that goes into a service porch that goes out to a sunroom behind the bathroom where my mother, typically, would leave the window open about that far for ventilation. And I knew that he had been out there looking through that window, watching me take a shower. And the reason I knew that is because back in the 80s, when my first daughter was born, she's 35 now, I caught him watch, trying to watch me go to the bathroom in my house. They had come for dinner, and I could see a head poking up above the bathroom window through the mirror. And I, it was him. And so I just would use caution when I was around him. And I told my sister later in later life, you know, and she was like, why didn't you tell me? Well, every time one of these incidences would come up, she'd say, why didn't you tell me? And she stayed with him. I had to explain to my sister, who's still married to that man, about the difference between forgiveness and trust, because we approached her, well, and, and let me back up a little bit. When, when, I, um, when this happened to me at my mom's house, I didn't tell Saul. I just said, okay, just going to be more careful. That's what we do, right? I'm just going to be more careful. It's about me fixing it. But she and I were waiting to go somewhere with my dad for the day, and I just felt compelled to tell her, mom, this was my experience, and her mouth fell open and she said, Carrie, 
I've had the same experience and I haven't told anybody. So he's a sex addict, is what that is. So we went and told my sister three hours away in Sacramento. We went and met with her and told her, and she goes, well, I've been feeling like something's not right, and I'm going to go talk to him, and you know, very businesslike is what she does when she gets in those situations. And then she calls me and says, Rudy said that Carly might say something, my oldest daughter, about him touching her, but he was just trying to see if she was cold. So I called Carly and I said, honey, have you ever noticed anything funny about Uncle Rudy? And she started to cry. And she told me that the story. Yeah. So when I stopped inviting Rudy to family events, <laughs> my sister was very upset about it. And especially over time, he became a Christian. I praise God for that. I hope he's healed. I won't know, but I hope he's healed. But I, she said, you aren't forgiving him. And I said, I have absolutely forgiven him. I don't trust him. I cannot risk him being in our presence with all these little kids around. I can't risk that. And she had been molested when she was 12 years old by a man she trusted. Sister. My sister. And I said to her, how would you like it if I invited Joe, this man who molested her, to our parties? And you were there. How would you like that? Would you like to be in his presence for a whole afternoon? Put yourself in Carly's shoes. And as it turned out, we learned that he had molested my younger sister when she was 13. And she had stayed the night. How would you feel if you were Tracy having to be around him all the time? That was the only way I could explain to her what that's like and that I cannot put my family in that position. Uh, she didn't say anything, so I think she got it then. But it's been a constant. It's that over and over and over again, I have to choose to forgive Rudy for what he did all those years ago. And we're still uncomfortable around him, don't get me wrong. It didn't just erase everything. You don't forget. Where's the forgetting? Sometimes you, you just shouldn't forget because you could be endangering yourself or others. So there's a time, and that's where the Holy Spirit just has to grip us. We have to allow him to grip us and give us that serenity and that peace, knowing that we have done our part in forgiving. He has never made amends to most of the women in my family that he's harmed. He did for me, and he did my mother, but he's not the others. So that tells me a little something about him. So moving on, um, I have learned, this is your bullet item number two. I have learned that forgiving doesn't require the other person to ask for or even know that you have forgiven them. That is key. Doesn't require them to know or ask for that you've, yeah, doesn't require the other person to ask for or even know that you have forgiven them. And the key here, as you're writing, it has nothing to do with them. It's all about you and your heart. Nothing to do with them. They may never ask you for forgiveness. That doesn't mean you don't forgive them. Because if you don't, it'll eat you alive. I'm going to say more about that a little bit later. In 2012, February of 2012, I was unexpectedly laid off. I was telling some ladies that got here early. Um, I worked for a very large company called Granite Construction Company. And I was their HR operations manager and EEO officer. Sounds like a long title for bureaucracy, right? It was a big job. They were a $3 billion company at the time that I left. And I was laid off by a man who knew me, a new VP of HR that knew me seven months. Didn't know anything about what I did or had done 
for granted over those years. And I could tell very early on that he wanted me out. He was not inviting me to meetings that I should have been at. I think he just wanted the old guard, quote unquote, out so he could do what he wanted to do. And we had our moments when I said, we can't do it that way. We can't just lay people off with a day's notice. That's what he did to me. One day notice. Yeah, after 16 years. So of course, as you would expect, I was devastated. Devastated. Not shocked, because I could see it coming, kind of, but I was devastated. I was a single mom. I had a mortgage. I had a kid in college, and now I have no income. Well, I knew that God required me to forgive this man. I didn't feel that I wanted to forgive him. It's not a feeling. It's an action. It's a choice. Every day, it's my choice. And as it turned out, just put, you know, just clinging to the promises of God, I knew right away that God had something better for me. And that led me to my job here at Mount Hermon. And it wasn't a right away. I actually worked as a consultant for about seven months and then got the job here. And what was so cool about that is when they offered me the job, I got a call, it was early April 2013, and he said, so we've decided you are our person. You are heads and tails above the other applicants, and we want you. Now, I can't talk about money yet, can't offer you a salary yet, because there was a person in the job part-time as an HR manager, and Alden, who was our COO at the time, said, we're going to change the job to a director role, and you're going to report to the president but he's still here, and I'm leaving the country for three weeks. <laughs> so I have to wait to tell him he didn't get the job until I come back. I, of course, as an HR professional, I, that was the right thing to do. So I waited three weeks, had no idea. And I'd sold my house that March. So I did not know where I was gonna be living, how much money I'm gonna be making, you know, I'm just like, sketching out kind of some preliminary numbers, just putting it at the feet of Jesus. And he called me, just like he said he would, and he said, so we've looked at your salary history. Nobody at Mount Hermon makes that much money, <laughs> of course, because I worked for a huge company, right? I knew that. I said, Alden, I was not expecting that. I'm just trusting in God. And he's, so he said, well, this is what we're thinking, and I'm not kidding. It was to the penny, the amount that I had been praying about and had sketched out in my numbers. To the penny. Wow. If that's not the Holy Spirit working. And he recognized it too, which was really cool. So here I am. And yeah, it's a, somebody asked, you know, what are the differences in working for a very big company transitioning to a smaller company or organization? I don't like to call us a company. We're an organization. Um, money is one. I'm probably making 30% less, but God has always provided every step of the way. Even when I'm down to five cents in my bank account, something happens without me even asking for it that will get me to the next step. It's so amazing to watch God work in our most difficult circumstances. And that's not the most difficult of circumstances, is it? No, and I want to encourage you, because I know you're in that position right now, that God is with you. He knows your story. He knows your story. He knew it before now. Okay, he's got you. He's got you. Well, I haven't always. So when I had to get divorced, um, I, we built it. That husband and I built a home after that. I reconciled with him. No, I felt God calling me to return to him. No, the other, the second one that abused me. And then the final straw was that. He physically abused me. And I said, I'm done. I can't do that for my children. You know, here I am telling my daughters, don't you ever 
marry a man like this. <laughs> and my sons, don't you ever be a man like this. And I'm living with a man like this. And I just couldn't look at myself in the mirror anymore. So I left. And I found a house to rent. And it was a man who was a missionary that owned it. Yeah, isn't that cool? All right. So what God was doing all those years at Granite was equipping me to do what I'm doing today. So clear. I have taken all the things that I put into place there and more here to make Mount Hermon a better place for employees to work. It's really exciting and fun to be part of what God is doing. It's not me. It's what he's doing through me because of what he equipped me to do, period. I'm very clear about that. All right, number three. Let me check the time. Okay, we're good. Forgiveness does not change our circumstances, but it does change our hearts. Forgiveness does not change our circumstances, but it does change our hearts. Our circumstances come and go like the wind. Every day, they're different. So to just allow God to heal us so that it, we don't have that resentment and that bitterness, that we're not carrying that with us. Your, your fourth bullet actually is about that. Resentment is like a poison pill and expecting the other person to die. Yeah, it's like taking a poison pill and expecting the other person to die. They don't know that you're angry and bitter and they don't care. They're off doing their thing. They're happy-go-lucky. It's you that's suffering. No matter how they... You may be entitled to feel that way. Of course, you're going to feel that way. It's only hurting you, I promise. It's only hurting you. And God wants, doesn't want you to be handcuffed or imprisoned by that resentment. That's not what he came here to die for. Okay. Just, and I, again, this doesn't happen overnight. It takes practice. Every morning, it's a choice that you have to make every morning to lay it at the feet of Jesus. And it's not going to feel that way all the time. But just keep putting it out there, and he will take it from you. I used to stand in the bathroom mirror. I remember when I moved out from the house that my second husband and I built. I was very self-centered in those days when I left. My first husband it was all about me. I thought he was supposed to treat me like a queen and put me on a pedestal, and that didn't happen. So I found somebody who did. That was very selfish of me. I knew that. But after I left him and was on my own with my kids, I would look in, my, in the mirror and I would have conversations with him. You know, these, writing these scripts. I would be talking to him in my anger, in my bitterness, in my resentment. Did he hear a word of that? Not a chance. It was hurting me because I was still spinning in my head because I hadn't forgiven him yet. And it was only hurting me until I could let it go. I was so grateful when that was gone. <laughs> I've wasted a lot of time and energy talking to somebody that's not there. And you know what's really sad is he is still, he's worse than he was then, now. That was 20 years ago that I left him, September, 1999, 20 years. That's the, abusive one. That's the abusive one. He had mental health. I'm sure the bipolar disorder is genetic, and I'm sure that he is an undiagnosed bipolar. And he self-medicated, alcohol mostly, and then that turned to other drugs, cocaine, what have you. My children don't have a relationship with him because of the toxicity that he spewed over them for years, the abuse that he spewed over them for years. And they have had to go through their own healing processes. They're 28 and 26 now, and they don't speak to him. And he's homeless now, in his own hometown in Aptos, living behind a dumpster. 
because he refuses to acknowledge that he needs help. It's everybody else's fault. It's so sad, but we can't fix him. I've just had to let go of that. It's really sad. So resentment is like a taking a poison pill and expecting the other person to die. And he has done that. You know, ironically, he is holding everybody else responsible and is unforgiving, even to himself. And so he is literally going to die, probably by the time he's 60, is my guess. So sad. So if we continue in Matthew 22, verses 23 through 35, we read the parable of the unmerciful servant. I'm sure some of you are familiar with that. And I'll just read it real quickly. It's Matthew 22, verses 23 through 35. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had been, all had been sold to repay the debt. All that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell at the knees before, on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant did the same thing and fell on his knees before him and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You know, how can we not forgive others? Several years after my divorce from my first husband, so we divorced in 1989. Uh, lots of regrets there, by the way. And I'm thankful to say that we are best of friends today. I love that man. And we say, I love you, every time we see each other and give each other a hug. I had to ask him for forgiveness. I mean, I knew, like I told you earlier, I was wrong. I was selfish. I was narcissistic. I didn't care about anybody else but me. And I couldn't see past that. I was only 27 years old. That's no excuse. But I've been able to use that in other people's lives to say, look, I know how you're feeling. I know what it looks like to you now. You're going to regret this someday. I just know it. I understand what you're going through, but please don't give up. Please don't give up. And I'm thankful for that. Um, I knew I had hurt him badly with my infidelity. How long was I married to him? Um, so from November of 1983 until the fall of 89. And we had two children together. Yeah. Yeah. When our, those two children got older, much older, because um, they were two and four at the time, I had to ask for their forgiveness, too. I knew that I had to let them know, Mom messed up, and I'm so sorry for the hurt it caused you in your growing up years, the going back and forth, you know, all those things. It was painful for them, and so I had to ask them for forgiveness, and I'm grateful to say they all forgave me and understood. I just had to be transparent and real with them and tell them how I messed up. 
and how I had caused them so much pain in divorcing their father. And uh, not only did I have to ask them, ask God for forgiveness, and then my family, I had to forgive myself. That's the one I still battle with all these years later. All these years later. And the only way I could do that, honestly, is to repeatedly, as I said before, surrender it to Jesus. I hope you'll get this. It's not one of your blanks, but it is so key. Who am I to withhold forgiveness from myself or others when the creator of the universe has forgiven me? Who am I? What makes me so special to forgive? Withhold forgiveness from myself or others. Let me know if you need that again. Yeah. Who am I to withhold forgiveness from myself or others when the creator of the universe has forgiven me? I'm so glad someone said this. Your next blank is, I have learned that forgiveness is not one and done. It's a constant state of surrender. And as the Lord tells us in his word in Matthew 18, 21 and 22, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Yeah, it's Matthew 18, 21 and 22. You're welcome. And what that means is not necessarily 70 different things. It could be the same thing 490 times, <laughs> right? Unending. Again, that does not mean... Reconciliation. Somebody talked about the ongoing relationship with, you know, an ex, for example, with children that they share custody with or what have you. My daughter's going through that. She and her husband divorced. It was final last year. And he's just mean all the time because he's hurt. You know, remember, hurt people hurt people. That's what I keep telling her. Honey, he's hurting. He's feeling trapped in his decision now. It's done. He's hurting, so he's hurting you. So she's working at forgiveness. And for the kids also, but for her. For her. So she isn't imprisoned by that resentment. And she's the one that I said, honey, I know you're going to regret this someday, and I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. Um, not seven times, but 70 times seven. So I'm going to switch gears for a minute, and it's going to be hard. I'll probably cry, just to give you a heads up. <laughs> There's Kleenex if you do. Um, so four years ago, this coming October 27th, my then 29-year-old son, my second born, died of taking a quarter of what he thought was a Xanax tablet to help him sleep, but it was counterfeit. And it was made with fentanyl, a quarter of a Xanax. They're not very big to begin with. He took a quarter of it. And I know that because the coroner found the remaining three quarters in his bedroom. And a bunch of Benadryl blister packets because he had been experiencing hives for six weeks before this event and was taking the Benadryl for the itching because he was itching terribly constantly. I saw them. They were horrible all over his torso, just like big blisters all over. And um, he, on Monday, this was a, well, it was a Tuesday morning, very early in the morning, we suspect. Um, he had been at the beach with a bunch of buddies the, uh, the day off, and um, they were drinking beer, probably using some cocaine, probably. I knew that 
this group of friends did that together. And he had actually come to me saying, Mom, I don't want to do this anymore, months, months, months before. And so I had found him a drug counselor because he wanted, he said, I'm going to be 30 soon. I need to grow up. It's time for me to stop doing these things. And he had a really good job. He had really good friends. And we were a very tight-knit family. We did a lot of family activities together, playing board games and holidays and you know, just we spent a lot of time together and loved one another. All of his siblings, they were very close. And um, so he got home about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, called his girlfriend like he often did to say goodnight. They talked for a bit, hung up, and then he called her back about 1.30 in the morning. And of course, I learned this afterward from her. And said he couldn't sleep because of the itching. So they talked for about an hour and hung up and agreed that they would, uh, he would call her by 11 o'clock the next morning so they could go to the doctor and get his blood taken so they could figure out to what he was allergic. Well, she didn't hear from him by 11 o'clock in the morning. And so she, 11.30 comes, 12 o'clock, and she's starting to get annoyed. You know, like, okay, he stood me up. I'm not very happy about that. Well, then 1 o'clock came, and she knew that something's not right. This isn't like Tosh. And she drove to his house, which is way up in the Aptos Hills. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that, but it's a long, narrow road, about 10 minutes from the bottom of the hill. And she got there, and his car's in the driveway, so she's thinking, okay, he's here. She went, and it's so remote that, uh, well, he rented a room from his father, and it's so remote, they don't lock their doors during the day. And so she went in the house, but his bedroom door was locked. And she said that wasn't uncommon, but she couldn't get it unlocked. So she went around to the back of the house and could see through the bedroom window that he was lying on his bed, on his stomach. So she went back in, somehow got the door unlocked. I think that was God's doing for her. Got in there, touched him on the shoulder, like to jiggle him, like you might someone sleeping, and he was cold. So she rolled him over, and his lips were blue. And he had vomited during the night, which would happen when your body's trying to rid itself of poison. Now, if it had been Xanax, there'd be no problem. He'd be alive today, especially a quarter. And he was trying to be responsible, just took a quarter of a Xanax that he'd gotten from a trusted acquaintance. It was a street version of Xanax. So it was counterfeit. You may be reading these things in the news a lot these days. It's all over the nation. So she called 911, and they came. She'd started CPR. It was way too late. The coroner and I suspect he took that quarter of a pill right after he hung up from talking to her, and he probably died at about 3 o'clock in the morning. So he was gone, just gone. Now. What has that got to do with forgiveness? I had to choose to forgive that man from whom he got that pill. Now, what makes it even more complicated is I, I believed, and the, and the sheriff's department believed, that he didn't know what he had, that he got it from another source and um, gave it to him. I wanted to meet with him last, early last year and tell him, I forgive you. I know you didn't know. He refused. He blocked me, wouldn't even communicate with me at all. Um, I believe now, since I've heard word on the street, you know, is that he did know what he had, and he does know where it came from. So now I'm having to practice forgiveness all over again and trust that, you know, I want justice for my son, but I don't want to be bitter. So early in the case, when the coroner said, do you want us to involve you in the investigation? Do you want us to keep you updated? I said, no, I don't want to know. It's not going to change the facts. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be resentful. And there's nothing I can do. I don't want to know. I had to make that choice. I just spoke to a man. So things have occurred, which I'll tell you about later, um, that have given me a, a very big profile nationally about counterfeit medications. Tosh was one of the first to die. So a man from Dallas called me or emailed me a few weeks ago and said he had had 
a similar experience with his 31-year-old son who died in July of this year from a counterfeit Xanax in Texas. Or actually, he lived back east and wanted to talk to me about my experience. And what he wanted to know is, what have I done about the investigation part? <laughs> I told him nothing, because he's embroiled in it. He's frustrated. He's angry. And he's a believer. But he can't let go of wanting justice. And I said, you know, Dennis, I understand, but I chose not to be involved. I don't want to carry around that bitterness and feeling like nothing's happening. Why aren't they doing something? And I feel that way. You know, the FDA got involved in my son's case. The DEA is involved in my son's case. I just got to let it go and trust that God will take care of the justice. I can't change any of that. I, have, I don't have the ability. It's, not, it's only going to hurt me to want to make that happen. Can't do that. I'm grateful to say that God has opened doors for me because he gave me a new calling. This is, he, it was him to speak about this issue and warn others. So I'm speaking at schools, high schools, middle schools, locally. And then somehow other people in their research have found me. And I was interviewed for um, our, what is it called, Our American Stories. It's a radio program on NPR. A million listeners got to hear me tell my son's story. Our American, I think it's like that, but it's stories, I think. If you're interested, I can give you the, the name of it. Um, that same year, a news station in LA found me and interviewed me for their nightly news because a hip hop artist had died, or a rapper had died of a counterfeit Xanax. So they interviewed me for their news. Um, ABC News in New York called me, and we were on 2020 last fall, sep September 28th. And it was the What Really Killed Prince episode, because that's how Prince died, too, as a counterfeit Percocet. Yep, and so we were on 2020. I've been to Washington, D.C. twice for congressional briefings. I've spoken to the House Appropriations Committee and for the Florida state legislature. Um, I've been to Denver twice, to Colorado Springs this last summer to speak to the Republican leaders for their annual meeting, so about 60 or 70 Republican leaders, telling them Tasha's story, hoping that they'll realize, and I believe we can't legislate out of this problem, or arrest out of it, so I'm just doing what God has called me to do, and that's to tell Tasha's story and hope that lives are going to be changed, and I know they are, and that is such a blessing, and I just, I have to surrender that to the God all the time. This is your story, not mine. You're just using me as the vehicle to tell this story to save lives, so I know that's happening, and so I'm so grateful for that. Um, number six on your form. I have learned that forgiveness is about trusting that he will fulfill his promise to work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Who knows what scripture verse that is? Does anybody know? What is it? That's right. So all Romans 8.28 He will work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So even in your deepest pain, he will use those things for good. So even those things that you're struggling to forgive someone for, he will use those things for good. You may not see it today or tomorrow or next year, but you, know, you just have to trust that he is because I know he is. He's shown me, thankfully, because Otherwise, I don't know if I could bear the grief of losing my son and having, knowing I'm going to have to live without him for the rest of my life, 25 years, if I'm lucky. You know, it's a long time. Um, 
the April before Tosh's passing, I was uh, given the privilege of leading staff prayer. We had staff prayer meetings every other week. And I was reading a book called Draw the Circle by Mark Battison. And it's about praying audacious prayers, like the boldest prayers you can imagine, you know, that are just off the charts. Draw the Circle by Mark Battison. Draw the Circle. It's the second in a, he, he wrote another book called what, something about the circle, Mark Battison. But this is about praying audacious prayers. And I remember sitting in my closet praying for my sons and hearing the Holy Spirit loud and clear, you know those moments, say, they're going to be okay, Carrie. Those exact words, I remember it like it was yesterday. They're going to be okay, Carrie. And I just felt this overwhelming sense of peace. So I shared that in staff prayer. Two weeks after Tosh passed away, I was just, of course, in deep despair, crying out to the Lord at bedtime. And I'm not kidding, I heard Tosh's voice, equally as clear, like he were in the room with me, saying, it's okay, Mom. And I knew he was okay. Now, it wasn't the way I expected him to be okay when I prayed that prayer and I heard the Holy Spirit say they're going to be okay. It wasn't like that at all, but I knew he was okay. He was at peace. And I knew then I'm going to see him again. So, I, again, I was, of course, being a mom, I was like, oh, Lord, can I just hear his voice one more time? You know? And he said, listen to your voicemail. And, of course, I went there right away. There was nothing there. But then it was like, no, 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 you're deleted messages. And I had just learned how to find my deleted messages a few weeks before that. And I heard eight or ten voicemail messages from my son. And Tosh was very structured. He was a sweet boy. He loved his mom very much. And even though he wasn't a mama's boy, if I tried to mommy him, I was hearing about it, you know. <laughs> mom, I got this, you know. <laughs> but he was very structured in his voicemail messages. And... He would say, you know, the day, the time, who it was. And he said, Mom, hey, Mom, this is Tosh. It's Monday at 2 o'clock. And he worked at a grocery store in the meat and seafood counter. And he said, so I just want to let you know we got salmon on sale this week. <laughs> and there were probably five of those. It was great. And he goes, okay, love you. Talk to you later. And um, very sweet. And I had just the another overwhelming sense of peace that night so I could go to sleep, knowing that he's where I want to be someday. He's not struggling anymore, and I will miss him, and his siblings miss him, and all of his friends miss him, but he's where I want to be. And that's the home to me. When Marnie's talking about home, that's home that I'm looking forward to. So, to wrap this up a little bit, make sure I'm good on time. I'm sorry, you guys, make you cry. We have, we all have our own journeys. We all do. We all have people we have to forgive. We have people we need to ask for forgiveness. We have to forgive ourselves. And I'm really hoping that what you've heard today will help you along in your journey. And it is, it's a, it's a pilgrimage. <laughs> You know, when you think of a pilgrimage, or at least I do, I think of backpacks and, you know, trudging my way on this trail or this pathway that is not easy. But we're going to get there. We will get there. And the Lord is with you every moment. He knows your pain. He knows your sorrows. He knows your resentments and your bitterness. And it's a, it's a constant choice. Every morning we wake up and we say, Lord, I choose to forgive today. Show me my unforgiveness. You know, one of my regular prayers is, Lord, show me where I'm kidding myself. Because I know I can kid myself into thinking things about, you know, how great I am. Well, I was on ABC News, you know. None of those things matter. None of those things matter. So I have to ask for forgiveness when I get too full of myself, too. I encourage you to submit your hurts to the Lord and perhaps to a trusted friend. Talk through it. 
You know, there's no shame. Yesterday, somebody had the word shame on the board and guilt. You know, we're human. God knows how he made us and that we need him. That's why he sent his son. We need him. So what I'd like to do is um, ask us all to stand and hold hands, and we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer together. And I want to just thank you for trusting me with your journeys and um, to be blessed as you leave this room. I'll go over this way. <laughs> yeah. When it, or maybe we can come, come through here. I overdosed on Oh my God. Praise God. <sighs> can somebody else start for me, please? Hallowed <laughs> be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much.